We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I couldn't escape now if I wanted to. They've trapped me here. Who have? Mean, despicable, underhanded lot. Paul to open. Paul to open. Yes, and what do you do? All right, I suppose you want to see my pass. Yes, well, I haven't got one. And I'm not going to tell you my name either. Your mystery man with the police box. Well, don't just stand there arguing with me, man. Get on with it. Here comes the drums. So here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, all of it, the entire television run of the program, old and new in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. I'm Chris Taylor, and we're just a couple of guys who uh, like to make the sound of drums um at the beginning of every podcast i think there pete you you were on a triple beat i was on a quadruple beat we're, we're gonna have to figure out what the doctor who theme does and which one we're doing but uh yeah i, I, I now, think i, I regress like... <laughs> <laughs> i regressed a bit we're remixing it we're remixing man this is great it's, it's fantastic uh yeah you know, we started a... doing the, the one two three four after a bit yeah. and <laughs> surprise reader we've been away for a while and i kind we of forgot have. how we did the intro i think <laughs> it's um, been a while we'll, we'll yeah. get to the reasons why later but uh but pete where where has our randomizer been taking us our randomizer when last we activated it uh the last few times we activated it anyway mm. um we were previously three episodes ago at the mark of the ronnie which was a Colin Baker episode from his first season uh, featuring the Ronnie, Master, and Trees? Tree Bombs? Tree Mines or something? <laughs> tree Mines. Tree, tree Mines feature prominently in that one. Very memorable. Two episodes ago, it was one of our Viscount bangers. I think maybe our first official Viscount banger. That's our highest rating Yes, in the Pull to Open universe is a Viscount banger. And it was the Regeneration episode Legopolis mm. on Baker's last. Huge, huge. Uh, big winner there. And then we zapped back to the Pertwee era for what might be the ultimate or... Archetypical, ultimate archetypical do- Doctor Who story of the classic series, the Indeed. Carnival of Monsters. Yeah. Um, so, and then we that has brought us to yet another Pertwee episode. The randomizer last we activated it has landed us at season seven, serial one, Spearhead from Space, the first John <laughs> yes. Pertwee episode. That's right. And, first color episode, the first yep. episode with two hearts, like so many firsts that we've got to get to. And it's kind of an appropriate thing. Maybe the randomizer knew we were going to take a long break. Uh, we did not. Again, we'll get to the reason why. But um, yeah, it's 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 a nice one to sort of pick up with if you're going to pick up with anywhere. It's yeah. our second Auton episode because we've done, we did Terror of the Autons first. And that mm-hmm. seems a very timey-wimey, randomizer way to be doing these things. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just I've you know I've I've got my hair cut for the occasion, like like Pertwee, <laughs> you know, is uh, shorter hair in this famously, and um, yeah, a lot of lot of interesting reasons why the randomizer brought us here. But well, first, also, it's also our second post-regeneration episode after yeah. the power of the Daleks. 
So it'll be interesting to compare them because this is back to back in a sense. Right. And Brandomizer yeah. really loves regenerations and it's going to burn through them, both the, the post and the uh, the pre regeneration stories. Right. Uh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. We've not got that many left. But anyway, um, first, so we'll, get we, there. we'll get there. We're first going to do a section that we're calling. What are we calling it, Pete? It's now the pull to open feedback loop. Nice name. Until someone suggests a better one. <laughs> But I love we're going to go over what's going on in the Pull to Open universe. So, uh, as everyone knows, podcasts uh, love reviews. We thrive on reviews. People who leave reviews are our favorite Pull to Open fans, uh, especially those who live. Sorry, live. <laughs> those who live are awesome. But those who leave reviews at the <laughs> Apple Podcasts app, uh, which is one of the only places I think you can leave reviews, but they mm. definitely help with visibility of the show. And we've had a few lately. So... Uh, as we like to do, we like to read them out on air. And I'm going to read you two of our latest. So one is from someone named Krusty Frank 27 And it's Krusty with a K. And it's very brief. Uh, the headline is Fantastic Podcast. Wonderful deep dive on Doctor Who. And that's uh, it. That's fabulous. the review. And that's all Short you sweet. need to do, folks. If you leave a review, you don't even have to go this long. If you just want to leave a rating and an emoji... That's perfectly acceptable. Mm. Uh, whatever the minimum character count is on Apple, I'm sure it's pretty small. Go ahead and leave it. But that's all you really need to do. It's it's great. Thank you, Krusty Frank 27. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time. But also, There's if you're if you're uh, not much time at all. But if you're you are one of our more ambitious listeners, and we do we do like our listeners who are both alive and ambitious. Uh, you could leave a review like the one we're about to read from Sleeping Dalek, which first it. of all, great name. Yes. Uh, yeah. Kind of menacing two-word Doctor Who story there. Sleeping better, Dalek. Better than a crusty Dalek. <laughs> or crusty Dalek 27. Anyway, what does uh, Sleeping Dalek have to say? Well, the headline is The Best Podcast This Side of the Universe. Woo. Wow. Good title. Yeah. And it reads, This might be the best Doctor Who podcast I have ever heard. Ever. Deep discussions on theme. Check. Relevant conversations on episode concepts. Check. Hosts chemistry. Check. Mm. Mm -hmm. Critical opinions. Check. Theorizing while acknowledging canon inconsistencies. Check. All caps here. Staying on topic. Check. <laughs> In fact, I, I don't know if that one's... We really deserve that one. Let, let's caps, go right off it. topic right here just to prove him wrong. But no, no continue. <laughs> fact accuracy. Check. Comfortable length. Check. Opposed hmm. opinions to me with understandable arguments. Check. Low instances of negativity towards certain eras of the show. Check. It's ticking all my boxes. Wow. Thank you, Sleeping Dalek. Yeah. I, I like that Sleeping Dalek had all those boxes. I know. And we checked them all. And it's, it's roughly uh, 10, I believe. Yeah. And which, who, who doesn't make a list of, of 10 boxes uh, right? to check when, when choosing a Doctor Who podcast? That's uh, probably more than when choosing a mate, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. And, and they're also a comfortable length, might be one of the check boxes. Hey! Um, however, <laughs> however, we are glad that we are a comfortable length for you, Sleeping Dalek. We do endeavor to make you comfortable. Indeed. Uh, there are more reviews, guys, but in the interest of time and staying on topic and also uh, just pacing them out a bit, uh, we're going to save those for future broadcasts. So keep those reviews coming and we'll be, we'd be happy to read them out in the show. Uh, thank you very much, Krusty Frank 27 and Sleepy Dalek. 
Yes. Uh, you will still get a prize if we mentioned before you if you're one of the first 50 people to leave a review you get a prize uh more on that next time but uh in the rest of the feedback loop we've got mm-hmm. some new technologies to talk about new video newfangled video technology yeah so if you haven't uh, listened in a while you can listen more often I, on YouTube. That that I was going somewhere there. I don't know. <laughs> no, we're on YouTube. We've been on YouTube for a while, but uh, yeah. the new technology there is we have a new URL, relatively new. It's youtube.com slash pull to open. And true to our word, we have been uploading old episodes of the show since YouTube uh, being well, at least consistently uploaded on YouTube is relatively new. And now mo- a good chunk of season two. I, I, we're not quite at most. I think we're almost halfway through season two being uploaded. But some of our older episodes where we talk about Dark Water, Death in Heaven, Sleep No More, a couple of great Capaldi's, Pyramids of Mars, a big yeah. favorite of a lot of people. Yeah. As well as uh, one of our, our, I think it was our first Pertwee venture that way back in the day, uh, Inferno, oh, our podcast yeah. on Inferno is up there now. Um, so you can check all that stuff out. More of the old episodes are coming every Wednesday. And we also have all of our plot summaries, the little uh, segment we like to call TLDW or Too Long mm-hmm. Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who. That Those are all up there, the ones that we've done. And we might we might be cutting new TLDWs what? of ones we we didn't cut videos of in the because it took us a while after we started TLDW to actually start doing the video yeah. clips of it. Yeah. And so there's there's a few of those that we we haven't done. I don't want to overpromise, but some of those are now being done, and we actually have the very first TLDW. What? Pyramids of Mars was our very first time we did TLDW, and it, 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 it now exists in video form on YouTube and on TikTok. So enjoy that, guys. Wow, I'm going to have to go More back to and, and watch that with my eyes. I, um, I was It was painful for me because <laughs> I did the first TLDW, and there's a moment, you'll see it when you watch it, where <laughs> I completely go off the rails. So we oh, nice. learned a lot since then, guys. So as I hope you will find later, but uh, it's still, we'll still a very suspenseful segment. But uh, anyway, yeah. speaking of social we're, and speaking of things that you see with your eyes, like YouTube, we've got Spotify video podcasts happening. You're not just pulling to open your ears, you're pulling to open your eyes all over the place. And you're pulling to open them uh, and pulling and uh, marking to like them on TikTok. That was a mm-hmm. bit of a tortured connection, but how's TikTok <laughs> doing, Pete? TikTok's doing great. We're at about 7,500 followers, and we love each and every one of you. Um, We haven't been super active there lately because of the hiatus, and we've been focusing a lot on getting our YouTube catalog up to speed. But we're going to start getting back to it, guys. You're going to start seeing more and more of the videos. We we love you guys on TikTok. We know a big chunk of the listenership found us there. Mm. Uh, We're never going to give you up, TikTok. Um, Let you down. And we even have a TikTok comment of, I guess, the month now, yes. uh, rather than the week. So this is on one of our videos uh, uh, about Planet of Fire, which, wow, that was a while back. That was a very um, first uh, random episode. Yeah, so it was one of the um, things that we... Uh, basically, it was a recut video based on the old commentary, because we Planet of Fire was one of the very first ones we did in the, this new era. And we did a new video on it, and it was the this 
video about the TARDIS components being a right. plot device in the Davison era. So he, they would constantly oh, pull yes. things out and exchange them with the master and screw up the doctor's TARDIS and the master's TARDIS with things like the temporal limiter and the quantum accelerator mm -hmm. and whatever else. They would immobilize the TARDIS. Imagine that. All the time. Mm. All the time. And I, I remember I, I actually complained about it. Like this is kind of a plot device crutch and you can just easily disable the TARDIS by pulling one thing out of it. And uh, I think the criticism is valid. But that said, I always have someone on TikTok to ground me because uh, a person with the handle Mythical Memes. Great handle. Said, I would highly suggest that no one pulls any circuitry out of a plane, let alone a time machine. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. Yeah, I, I think you've got a point there. I, I, I the, the issues with Cardis's, um being immobilized, I think that might actually be of a, a certain grade of realism, you know, given how delicate and how what sort of energies and technology you would need to do such a thing. So I'll give you that to you, mythical memes. You know, Don't as, as someone who's um, spent a lot of time on planes recently, I can absolutely concur that uh, pulling circuitry out of your craft is a really bad idea. Uh, I saw a lot of drunk people. Nobody went as far as to pull circuitry out of the plane. So, yeah, don't do it. Don't do it when you're standing inside of a plane. Don't do it when you're standing inside of a TARDIS. In fact, in general, just just don't... If you see a console, don't let your first thought be, I'm going to rip some goddamn circuit boards out of this thing. Just don't do the, it. The only time it's acceptable is if you're Bruce Willis in Die Hard 3 <laughs> and you desperately need to turn your car around to start shooting at the guy who's chasing you and you don't want the anti-lock brakes to work then you can pull out all the circuits from underneath the car console but other Please. than that don't don't do, don't touch anything always that one exception that proves the rule um but yes we also have an honorable mention uh tiktok comment for for august i believe yeah and this one is just a little self-serving and honestly it's how i'm sneaking <laughs> in a third review so will underscore harper 101 has a very brief comment it says this podcast is underrated as hell Damn these straight. guys are so entering with their interesting with their who discussions yes thank yes. you will harper underrated really as hell you know if you're looking for three words to uh, to throw into your review uh of pull to open they'd, they'd be pretty good ones underrated oh wow just when I when when I'm cutting the sizzle reel yeah. for the podcast, I'm going to put those as like you know the the reviews that rush into the foreground or whatever as as you cut between scenes, which would just yeah. be you and I in front of microphones. But anyway, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I'll have one quibble with the statement, which is that I I don't think that hell has been underrated in in the history of humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it was underrated uh, in Doctor Who until the Satan Pit, um, but. You know, I I think uh, hell is kind of overrated, but we are underrated as hell. Uh, I love the idea of, of people just sort of swarming to your review engines and filling them up with underrated as hell, underrated. Every single one of you say that, and then and then we become overrated as hell. And we, you you, you nice. tip the balance at some point. Yeah, yeah, nice problem <laughs> to have. I'll take that one. <laughs> So, so yes, good so, stuff. As I, I mean, say, that is a review. Will Harper, if you want that to count as a review, yeah. feel free to go to the Apple Podcast Store and leave exactly yeah. that same comment. I'd, we'd really appreciate it. But, Copy and paste, uh, my friend. Copy and paste. It. Exactly, exactly. That, in this case, it's completely okay. Yeah. Um, less so, okay when you're copying entire plots 
from your previous work, uh, mm. Terrence Dix. <laughs> anyway, no, I should I shouldn't uh, bug Terrence Dix. Oh, uh, it's actually still Terrence. kind of okay if you do that. Yeah. Um, okay. There's <laughs> lots of actually. There's lots of other business we could talk about. There yeah, are things that I, are going um, in the Doctor Who universe. I would actually uh, like to hear that before before I say what's been going on with me. I, I'd love to. I've you know as I mentioned, I've, I've been on planes for a while. I've I've not been paying attention to Doctor Who news for about the last month or so. So, Pete, seems to have been a well, lot I'll of interesting things going these. on. I'll yeah. rapid fire these a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they've, you know, there's a lot other Doctor Who podcasts that are a little more up to up to speed on the news. They go more deeper into it. But here's the main beats, as I have heard yep. in the last few weeks. So the home of Doctor Who on streaming has been two places, obviously BritBox mm-hmm. for the classic series. But mm-hmm. HBO Max has been home thus far for New Who. And HBO Max is not long for this world. I don't know if you've heard. They're actually oh, no. Gonna, since discovery uh and there, there's basically in in the world of corporate acquisitions and entertainment hbo max is going to get sunset at some point and some new service or set of services will replace that's probably at least a year away but it's it's whether it's brought on by that or not there's been a lot of chatter about doctor who moving to disney plus mm. as its new home which again everyone has opinions on this i just want it somewhere yeah, um, Disney uh, Plus would be great. Well, and in the interest of saving money, <laughs> yeah, huh? Like I'm already subscribed to Disney Plus. It's relatively affordable as the services go. HBO Max, as most people know, is about I don't know double the cost of yeah. uh, Disney Plus, and yeah. I would not mind what that would mean for my streaming expenses month to month. Having old and new in one place would be fantastic. Oh uh, wow, yeah. And yeah, particularly the classic Who. It's again not been a great time for my BritBox experience. I don't know about you, Pete, but the the mm. way that it makes you bounce around between episodes. Like if you want to go to episode two of Spearhead from Space from episode one, as I did, you know, you you kind of have to uh, if you're not going all the way to the end where they automatically link the episodes for you. Like say you're clicking ahead at the end of the episode you had to as i had to go all the way out all the way back in again um and it just like it's one of those like being having to do a security line at an airport to reach for a metaphor that may or may not have happened to me in the last couple of days you know when you could just do a connecting flight um yeah so i I could complain about britbox it's gotten better i mean i could nitpick a bit that i don't think it's really the app on the phone is cast compatible anymore but they do airplay and for strange reasons the frame rate is off but generally i think it's improved a bit since we first started doing this podcast um i do have one complaint that i'm actually going to stay for the main pod Okay, uh, because it actually directly relates to Spearhead mm. from Space. Yeah, yeah, I think I know what that is. But but also they they've had the temerity to raise their prices by a dollar. Um, so they, oh. they were they were cheaper than Disney Disney Plus. They're now the same price as Disney Plus. So I yeah, not not great BritBox at this time mm. of inflation uh, to to you know and uh, people's salaries yep. effectively lowering to to raise the price list. But anyway. I, I would like Disney Plus to host Doctor Who. It seems like a natural fit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get all your a lot of genres in one place there. Exactly. Okay, moving on. There is a rumor now that in the new season, which is probably almost two years away at this point, 
Um, when Shudi Gatwa takes over as the doctor that Stephen Moffat will write some episodes. Um, so good. Which would be, I, I honestly, this is the most predictable rumor. Like, I don't think it's been confirmed yet, but it is like, like, duh. It's kind of what I, yeah. you know, he and Davies are obviously famously good friends and we, they're both um, similar Doctor Who nerds. And Moffat was the star writer of mm. RTD's original era. So, of course, he's going to be writing some more Doctor Who. But I think the, I mean, I, I'm sort of excited to hear this because I was thinking once again recently of something we talked about in the past, this notion that RTD and Moffat are the Beatles of Doctor Who. They are, they are right. John and Paul in that they need each other to sort of rein in each other's kind of worst excesses, right? They they balance out nicely. When they're working together, you get, you know, Girl in the Fireplace, you get Silence in the Library, you get the really good solid classic stone cold classics of the modern era no pressure guys yeah <laughs> <laughs> but if you do work together that's sort of the level of that yeah. we're going to be expecting new be- new beatles music basically Indeed. yeah i want i want another abbey road um <laughs> so that was sort of a almost a given i just wanted to go mm-hmm. over it um now there's been a lot of talk about the centenary special mm-hmm. and i don't know if i pronounced that right Cent- centenary Centenary is, would be the British way, but Got I don't it. know if it's the same over here. I don't know. The anyway. centi- the hundred years, but why don't they just say that? Who even knows what a centenary is anyway? The, the BBC. The BBC, apparently. So mm-hmm. it's happening in October. No, wait, wait, wait. We don't know that. That's the rumor. I, I forgot. This is the rumor. <laughs> we don't know when it is. Yeah, yeah, there's still been no here. date announced, but they're saying mm-hmm. October. And the... the precise rumor again just rumor is october 16th so Mm. honestly by the time you hear this podcast it may be confirmed i doubt it because they usually announce these things in september they usually wait till like the last possible minute Mm. uh to sort of begin their actual marketing campaign i know doctor who fans have been complaining there hasn't been a lot of marketing um and i think there's a lot of validity to those comments generally but i do think what's probably happened here is as much as Doctor Who itself might want to promote its coming stuff. It's getting pulled into the centenary, like general marketing, like whenever mm-hmm. that begins, mm-hmm. I suspect whenever all, cause there's a lot of other stuff besides Doctor Who. So I, I wouldn't read too much into there not being a ton of marketing yet. I think that's probably just all going to cop, cop it at once. You know, Doctor Who has, I'll just speak ex- extemporaneously about this, has a, had a historic connection with New York Comic Con in October, which is this year, October the 6th to the 9th. Uh, I would definitely mm. see it having a prominent presence there. That seems to be about the right time to launch a marketing campaign. Uh, or, you know, capitalize on one. Definitely not in the middle of August, guys. Don't don't expect yeah. anything right now. The world is asleep. I, I, you know, wouldn't be surprised if you're listening to this on a beach somewhere. You know, you don't you don't launch marketing campaigns in August. No. Uh, even for awesome Doctor Who seasons or episodes. Post-Labor Day, watch for mm-hmm. that sizzle reel that includes Doctor Who and probably a new trailer. But exactly when, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, okay, but that all fits. So other stuff... There was an interview that Neil Patrick Harris gave about his role. And it was about a lot of things, but he mentioned his role in Doctor Who, which is coming up as part of the 60th anniversary special or specials. I don't know if that's clear yet on like what that will entail next year. So Um, much mystery. 
So that's a whole other thing we could get into. But in the interest of time, we won't get into that. But he did mention when asked about Shudi Gatwa, uh, how excited he was that he would be not just the first black doctor, but the first gay doctor, which got everyone's eyebrow to raise. And I, you know, is he getting the doctor confused with Shudi Gatwa's character on sex education? Or there's also the sort of under like is the like i don't know if the actor is publicly discussed his sexuality is that what he I, i'm not sure if that's what he's talking about yeah um or whether he's being outed by neil patrick harris there well um, i mean i don't want to get into that like i mean it's more i'm more interested in, if he is the, the gay character. doctor this, yeah because we he wouldn't be though right because it's right. like jody whittaker absolutely is already clearly interested in yaz yep so and come on, yeah. Captain Jack. The the yeah. the interest level in Captain Jack has been more than just friends. I think in the past, shall we say? But that's a whole other topic. Well, he did <laughs> run from him to the end of time. So yeah, that's right. That's, <laughs> there was that too. That's kind of telling. Uh, <laughs> could be, yeah, actually, you could read it the other way. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, exactly. it's an interesting uh, little mm-hmm. note there. We'll see how that goes. Uh, still excited for Shudi Gatwa. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first Indeed. season. There's a lot to happen between now and then. Obviously, David Tennant and Catherine Tater back. Exactly how they're going to handle that and in what capacity, hmm. uh, we don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, yep. there's there's a lot we could go into there. It'd be like <laughs> pure is. speculation, alternate universe stuff. But I think at some point, we've got to steer it back around, yeah. guys. Yeah, we'll and get bring that. it back to what so, we're here to talk about. Yeah, which is uh, Spearhead from Space. From space. But before we get into that, I do want to share a little um, personal information here because uh, you, your fans of the podcast have been so great that I feel like uh, you know you're you're kind of like in my close friend group, and I'd like to share with everyone we've been we've been unexpectedly off the air for a little while, um, and uh, something that's been going on for a while that is that my uh, my dad, the man who introduced me to to Doctor Who. Uh, was uh, very, very unexpectedly sick very quickly. Um, that was the reason that I was in the UK for our Mark of the Rani episode, which you may remember. Uh, I was in a 14th century castle at that point, uh, visiting my dad at that point. Um, and I, I have to share that, unfortunately, just before we were due to record this originally, about three weeks ago, uh, he, he passed away um, very quickly unexpectedly you know um kind of the a blessing in a way that it, it wasn't dragged out and he wasn't in a lot of pain so um i i went over there we had his funeral last week um i actually mentioned doctor who during the funeral uh it, it was weird sort of interesting the ways that it cropped up during this sort of uh you know as any anyone who's lost a parent knows or you know family member there's there's a lot to take care of right and uh you know, especially if they haven't specified uh, a any sort of uh, burial details. Uh, so I found myself looking through catalogs of coffins, one of which I sent to you, Pete, is a picture of a, a TARDIS coffin. Right. Uh, that is... <laughs> my dad was not that level of Doctor Who fan. Uh, he's the guy who got me into it. He basically... His doctors were Troughton and Pertwee. He was watching from the start. He remembers an unearthly child. Uh, you know, from, wow. from his childhood. And, you know, that was 1963. He was in Liverpool. He was a contemporary of the Beatles. You know, so he saw that. Uh, always said that it was odd that it, he associated with with his childhood, 
given that he was kind of, I think, uh, 17 at the time uh, in 1963, but it, it kind of took him back to his childhood, right? But he didn't really get into it until Troughton was the Doctor. Uh, he liked Pertwee. He sort of kind of handed over the family interest in Doctor Who to me at some point during Tom Baker. Uh, but still, mm. you know, he's the guy who introduced me to Doctor Who. And uh, for that reason, I actually, uh, we did a little, uh, a little graveside eulogy uh, when we buried him in a, a uh, lovely woodland cemetery, um, which made me think of a, a lot of uh, Whovian settings like Forest of the Night. Like it, it gave, uh, you know, it gave us that sense. Um, and I actually mentioned that that fantastic Moffat quote from, from the Matt Smith era, um, from the end of the first Matt Smith season, uh, we're all stories in the end, just make it a good one, eh? And I, so I quoted nice. that. That was right at the end of my eulogy. Uh, and I said, bloody hell, Dad, did you make it a good one? So... That was that, yeah. And I've, I, you know, I've mentioned it before. I'll probably mention it again. But it was really, it was quite nice to come back. Uh, I am now back in the U.S. this week, and to have this, um, this sort of uh, easing back in, specifically with Spearheaders from Space, because this was, you know, this is right in the middle of his two favorite Doctors, and uh, it's a, it's a definitely an episode that he would have watched, and probably. I, I sort of imagine frowned to himself a little bit, like, okay, what are they doing with this thing? Are, are they sort of copying Quatermass? You know, what's what's going on here? Um, but you know, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to the discussion. Yeah. But I I'd like to thank all of you for giving me the chance to talk about this. Uh, it is helpful to talk about. It's helpful to recognize. I think that the fandom does does sustain us in these difficult times in life. It's not just you know, it's not just a frivolous thing. It really it unites generations. Uh, it reminds us, and Doctor Who especially, you know, is as a show that uh, helps kids think about death, you know, prepare for right. these kinds of eventualities. It, it does walk up to a lot of interesting lines sometimes. And I, I'm definitely glad that we uh, buried rather than cremated my dad, for example, because uh, because of the three word foundation. If you all remember <laughs> that from okay. Dark Water Death, right? Heaven. You know, the screaming, "Don't cremate me! Don't cremate!" Me. You know, that was later revealed to be a missy plot, but it's still like those words have reoccurred in my head. Though I was, I was, you know, it, it, it was a lovely thing that we did for him. And uh, glad that we did for that reason. So it's you know, mm. fandom sustains us. It can sustain you as well. We're all connected in a way that you may not normally associate with entertainment, but it is ultimately you know great examples of uh, stories that connect us. Well, Chris, I um, I want to say thanks for um, sharing all that. I, I really loved hearing about the eulogy you gave. I think it, it just set the perfect tone. I, I think I speak for everyone listening. Uh, we're so sorry for your loss. Uh, we're you. super glad to have you back. Thank you. And um, the, what you said about him being responsible for your fandom mm. very directly, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of fans because I think a lot of yeah. longtime fans probably encountered the show when they were fairly young. Um, yeah. And I think just inherently your parents play a role in that one way or the other. Okay whether they directly get you into the show or they tacitly approve and probably watch it with you. Yeah. And so I think Doctor Who for Doctor Who fans in particular, there's, there's sort of a natural family and parental connection um, yeah. that doesn't exist with all genres. So 
That's true. You're hiding behind the sofa and usually your parents, the ones sitting on the sofa, right? <laughs> going, why are you hiding yeah, exactly. behind that sofa? And I mean, it, it is one, one of the most wonderful things I always look forward to when we record this podcast, Pete, is hearing about uh, you watching it with your kids and hearing what yeah. their reaction is and just having that sense that we are continuing to pass it on to the next generation. And this is the kind of show that you can hand down from generation to generation. And uh, but yeah, you know, we, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your stories of connecting through generations via via the show that has been going on, you know, longer than many lives, right? At this huh. stage, it's we'll, we'll soon be at the 60th anniversary. It's extraordinary to think about it extending that far into the past. But yes, just keeps torch. regenerating. It does. And mm. it's so, again, yet another reason why it's so perfect that we're talking about Spearhead from Space. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll we have... should start talking about Spearhead from Space. <laughs> Indeed, um, without further ado. We have to transition at some point. And, guys, this is it. This is where we go to our regular segment that we talked about earlier TLDW, Too Long oh Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And this is a classic series episode, and we allot 30 seconds for every classic series episode which gives one of us a full two minutes to summarize the story of spearhead from space and as luck would have it chris yep i had to look this up because it was been so long (laughs) since we've done it but it's your turn i Uh, welcome the challenge i really do it's uh you know uh this is sort of signifies a return to uh ordinary life for me and it's um it's a bit of a challenge but again you know we talked about this story spearhead from space very nice, easy one to ease us back in to the flow of things. So I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, you know, watch me screw it up now. But I'm feeling pretty confident that uh, we can summarize the story pretty yeah. quickly, and also that the summary is not really the point. But anyway, we'll get to that. And now <laughs> I, I know am... you've got this. I know you've got this. <laughs> now I'm spinning all right. my wheels. Okay. Are you ready, sir? I am closing all of my tabs. Yes, because that's how we do this. We fly blind on TLD, TLDW. I can't even remember how it opens. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. I'm ready. So we are going to start the official pull to open summary of Spearhead from Space in three, two, one, go. Okay. So there's a bunch of meteorites that come to the Earth and they land there. And uh, the Doctor also lands there in his new incarnation, falls out of the TARDIS, ends up in a county hospital. The Brigadier uh, from Units is uh, interviewing uh, Miss Liz Shaw uh, and uh, introducing her to, to Units. And, and then he hears that there's this dude in the county hospital. Turns out it's, it is the Doctor, even though he doesn't look like him. Uh, and uh, he, the Doctor gets kidnapped uh, by a bunch of weird people who seem to be hanging around the hospital. 30 seconds. Um, and he gets uh, shot by the Brigadier's soldiers, but the Brigadier basically brings him back to the hospital uh, as he was escaping towards the TARDIS. Um, he agrees to help the Brigadier investigate these sort of mysterious happenings that is going on with these meteorites, because it seems that some of them landed already and taken over this plastics factory. And guess what? It's the Autons. It's the nesting consciousness. They have taken over the plastic factory. They're taking over all of the plastics, uh, uh, plastic models in Britain, including shop window dummies and models of uh, this uh, uh, particular major general who's the basically the Brigadier's opposite number in the British Army who has to interface with a lot. 
and they they take him over. And this part of their their world plan is they're, they're just going to, you know, uh, swap bodies with a bunch of people. They already seem to have done with the plastic factory, and uh, take over the world uh, that way. And it's kind of getting serious towards the end of it. And the doctor has to try and sneak into his TARDIS to help uh, build a lab thing. Uh, basically, what what he and Nishal yeah, do is they they build a, a machine that will destroy the the major general. Uh, whose body was taken over by the nesting consciousness. They do, they sort of get away with it rather rather quickly, rather easily, uh, but the Doctor says that the Nestians probably will have heard about that, and uh, this isn't the end, and uh, he's, he's basically with Unit because he can't go anywhere in the TARDIS because it's been mobilized by the Time Lords! We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Got a a few more seconds. (laughs) And he's pissed off about it. (laughs) And time... All right, <laughs> good stuff. You did it. You you, you, you completely nailed that one. You aced it. <laughs> well, you know, I'd, I'd like to thank Robert Holmes for not really uh, making a difficult story here. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward alien invasion stuff. Yeah, very very 70s. basic. I think that's sort of the, the first thing that we should mention is this is sort of like bog standard mm-hmm. alien invasion. It's like so so much like everything in the 50s and 60s that had to be sort of body swapping right and mind mm-hmm. control it's got all that the i didn't really mention that the the nestine or the, the swarm leader that that channel right. and uh, the uh, the octopus i don't think you mentioned oh yeah there's a there's a thing there's a rather weird looking thing in a box uh that is is the nesting consciousness or mm-hmm. somehow connected to it or it just is animating all of the yeah we we can get to that but i think mm-hmm. the the whole idea like obviously the story itself is is kind of like the the actual plot is does a little bit immaterial here like the whole yeah. idea here is this is a reboot this is a new era this is a lot like we mentioned at the intro there's a lot of firsts in spearhead mm-hmm. from space and that is the goal of it it's it's basically to give the viewer um a new feeling and let them know here is what we here's what doctor who is going to be mm. for the next uh, for the foreseeable future mostly because right. of budget yep um <laughs> so we're going to double up on actors we're going to have a lot of reaction yeah. shots to things happening rather than things happening themselves um and also yeah. i i think we should mention right up front this is one of the first if not the only uh, doctor who to be recorded entirely on film Right, which I, I kind of almost I want to get into that in a lot of ways, and I might as well yeah. do it now. I mean, it's, so it. the background of it is that there was a strike at the BBC, and so they couldn't film in the studio. And rather than having them not film, in other words, like delay the season or mm. cut it short, they said, "No, let's do the first story in film, and we just won't go in studio." And they thought it would be too expensive. It turned out it wasn't, and they were able to do it, and. Uh, the thing is, I mean, this inadvertently, I think, mm. it's serendipity. This actually looks like one of the least cheap episodes of Doctor Who yeah. because it's it's basically all location, even though there's interiors and stuff. There's no studio stuff. So, like, the, the factory they go to is an actual factory. 
right. uh, the, you know, the hospital. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I, I forget exactly what, what it was, uh, but it was, oh, I think it's, it's actually, it's funny. There's this, there's a, there's a key thing that I just found out today on why the um, randomizer brought us here. But regardless, yeah. the locations are authentic. And it just mm. looks great. Not only that, because it's film, and I'm, I'm sorry to get to the technical no, phrase no, no. of this right away. This is great stuff. They actually were able to do a better remaster of Spearhead from Space than virtually any other classic episode. And I'm going to give huge points to the Blu-ray, which mm. I watched. Like, if you compare it to what you would get on BritBox... Mm. it's kind of night and day in terms of the video quality. It's I, fascinating to hear yeah. you say that because I, I watched on BritBox. Um, you you watched it both ways? Or I guess you just I saw sort of I, I watched it initially on BritBox mm -hmm. with my kids. Then I watched parts of it on the Blu-ray to mm. note the difference. And I kind of wanted to restart again just to watch it all the quality. Right. And then if you believe, believe it or not, I actually also watched the DVD because it's ah. commentary. So I've seen all three and the Blu-ray <laughs> is by far the best in terms of video quality, but it got in my head. Like I wish there was an alternate universe where Dr. Who from spearhead from space forward was just shot entirely on film hmm. so that we could remaster most of the classic series at sort of a better level. I mean, obviously that didn't happen, but it's, uh, well, so it's yeah. interesting you say this particularly because because I watched it on BritBox. I actually really liked that version, so I cannot imagine how good the Blu-ray must be. I it really just popped for me, even even on streaming, like the like old film does, like classic mm -hmm. film does. It does it has that classic film feel. Yeah, it does well, feel I mean, like something from the seventies. It's definitely a level up. I would say the yeah. BritBox is kind of like seeing a movie where. You, you still have the grain, sort of the film grain, you know, and you, yeah. you love it. And it's, it's obviously well-made because it's a well-crafted film and they made the colors pop and they, you know, did a lot of stuff that was cinematic. Mm. Uh, but to sort of see that remaster, to see that yeah. same experience without the grain and with it sort of cleaned up and a little bit of sharpening in, in some key places, you're mm. just like, oh, wow, you know, this is arguably like the most cinematic Doctor Who has been in the classic series yeah. from start to finish anyway. Question for you: How was the audio uh, on on the Blu-ray? Because the the audio on BritBox, I I sort of think of this as just a legacy of the original, right? That they just had bad audio recording equipment. It's pretty terrible most mm. of the time. Like they, I don't know if they were holding the boom mics too far away. A lot of episode four is almost unlistenable. Um, yeah, you know, I should I should watch it more of it again to get that mm. sense because I did feel like, particularly when you hear Pertwee speak. Yeah. There's a bit of echoiness. I think in a lot of those unit scenes, because just because a lot of the rooms they shot in were were so big, and and you, I think the audio suffers uh, throughout for that reason. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they could do much with that, but I didn't really notice much difference. Well, so the, there is uh, another before we leave the the filming. By the way, I'll first of all I'll just mention I got like serious. George Lucas THX one one three eight vibes from this, oh, yeah. uh, which which is if you've never seen it, it's it's his first student movie, and then he sort of turned it into his first, um, you know, his first film, hoping it would be a blockbuster. It's kind of a bummer, weird, dystopian, like a lot of weird right. angles on things and stuff like that. Definitely got that kind of vibe from from this, which actually precedes the at least the uh, the budget version. The, the big budget version of THX one one three eight, it's it's definitely in that milieu. Like I could see George Lucas, like if he'd ever done a an episode of Doctor Who, I could see this being it. Um, there are a lot of 
kind of great close-ups of uh i guess channing and his henchmen, where they like they've almost distorted the lens right it just it's super sort of alienating and discombobulating um well the makeup was great too i mean everyone looks super plasticky who's yes and and because they have to emphasize that there are good close-ups on a lot of the actors to just show the contrast yeah so you have these nice like really the classic textbook shots of the brigadier on the phone and mm. you know it's either sort of chest up or waist up and you know you could kind of see like this is this is the brigadier as he was kind of always imagined to be this is this is peak brigadier totally in, in i mean he just he year. he walks in like he owns the place it's it's funny that we should come to this after you know um our, our brigadier encounters have sort of been in weird random order, especially like in you know we first encountered him in Dark Water, I believe, as as oh, yeah. as, as cyber <laughs> dead cyber brigadier, which is fantastic. And then you know we encountered him, I think, uh, in Inferno as like evil brigadier, and then Mordred undead, like Mordred undead. Well, good memory. Yeah, buddy, you're going over this. I'm recutting these right now, or have been <laughs> in the last few weeks, and that's exactly nice. right. Yeah. yeah. So it's sort of the, the randomizer likes to mess around with the brigadier. And and here, you know, we see the brigadier sort of, it's his first time. Well, obviously, he's not first time in the show because there have been two, two uh, you know, Nicholas Courtney episodes, uh, stories prior to this. Um, but it is, I mean, he, he looks like he owns the place, right? He's mm. so in, in command uh, of his character already, whereas you know Pertwee is is obviously all over the place in terms of trying to figure out who his doctor is. He's trying to do this Troughton impression, but yeah, the, the brig just really lights up the screen in these. But I was totally. How that... did you like? How did you like his uniform? This is famously this is the original, <laughs> I guess, of yeah. this era uniform where he has this sort of beige colored. Un- it's yeah. very distinctive. All the beige jumpsuit, the, the beige jumpsuit, exactly. <laughs> It's it's very seventies, isn't it? It's very you could only get away with it. Like talk about the unit dating controversy, which right. we really shouldn't. Uh, this <laughs> is so the nineteen seventies. What's more nineteen seventies than a beige jumpsuit? Come on, people, case closed. Units in the nineteen seventies. You know, uh, yeah. Sarah Jane Smith was on crack in the pyramids of Mars, where she said she was from nineteen eighty. Like that's well, I gotta say, like I, I like the uniforms, and I probably prefer them to the things he wore later, apart from maybe his sort of action tunic. Yeah, but when when he gets more standard green, I just yeah. feel like they lose. I like that this is a distinctive look for unit. It is, and I also kind of like, even though you know Nicholas Courtney and others have famously said, "Oh, it looks like you're, we're about to break into song as a barbershop quartet or something." <laughs> Fair enough, but I I like the idea of. Uh, underestimating unit like they look like a bunch mm. of pansies in these gray, brown jumpsuits and they they're actually like the people who are large and in charge uh, yeah i like that, that contrast that does sort of explain why uh nobody in the in the hoi polloi seems to be a, at all particularly scared of them like they'll just walk right up to the tardis that's supposed to be being guarded uh specifically we're talking about right. Seely here which is it's interesting that we did uh claws of access fairly recently right we we, yeah. we saw we saw the big ben josh stereotype of the yokel who comes along <laughs> and you know uh falls afoul of the aliens i mean celia is really the first and maybe the worst example of this in, in doctor who history well nothing's um, worse than pig ben josh as we noted at the time and <laughs> i think true. nathan bottomley who helped us out on that commentary uh friend of the pod mm-hmm. he very accurately 
saw that this era of Doctor Who has issues with lower class people and making them all kind of either, like you say, yokels or just very... Ew, like, and I gotta say, Seely, that's the thing he inspires more than anything else, even more than the Autons. It's like, ew, he's just kind of gross, and honestly, his accent, I I found even somewhat incomprehensible. It's utterly unnecessary as as a subplot, uh, as we know, because I didn't even mention it in TLDW. You don't need to know, like, you could cut all the Seely scenes out, nothing would happen. There's there's Mm. scenes of him arguing with his wife. Who's like, you're not going to bring that dirty box into the house? And he's like, look, nothing in it. Uh, no hands. Go go make me tea, woman. Uh, you know, one of the um, several really sexist moments. In well, this it's, it's, it's the moral lesson for kids, right? I didn't mind yeah. it because it's like, okay, if only he would simply bring this thing to the proper authorities, so he would be fine and maybe they would. Yeah, yeah, he just tries to get some cash. He's, trying, he's out for himself. And I think the message for kids... It, it, watching the show, I was like, "Hey, you know, listen to the brigadier, listen to the people in charge." Which is arguably okay. It's a little not I mean, like there is, with there today. Is one scene where Seely, like, he starts to realize kind of the enormity of the situation he's in, and he takes his cap off when he's talking to the the right. unit officer who's interrogating him, and it's so sort of like the, this is nineteen seventy, and we want the lesson to be kids, you know, always respect someone with a with a more posh accent than you. Uh, you know <laughs> asking you questions you know, d- don't try and lie to them because here's what's going to happen he's uh, got but yeah, your see, best interest at heart yeah sure. exactly he does kind of like realize that it takes his cap I'm, yeah. oh, I'm talking to my betters here you know, um, right. you know even him he's only out for the money uh, so yeah not not a very good stereotype but to, to go back to the filming there was one thing I was going to mention that I think is a direct result of the filming the fact that they were on location is uh, that the Pertwee shower scene um, ah. is only there. He's only in the shower and then, you know, stealing the clothes of the flamboyant doctor who uh, who comes into the same room. He's only in the shower because apparently Pertwee saw this in the location and was like, oh, hey, well, wait, why don't we make my scene, you know, the doctor's in the shower, uh, you know, and they, they don't <laughs> really pay attention to him. Um, and they could do that. They're like, hey, yeah, hey, crazy idea. You know, uh, which is you know what? That, it's such a it's such a classic scene. It's so weird. It's a little yeah. throwaway. It's obviously a little humorous, but everybody remembers this scene, and uh, no other doctor has a scene like it. In fact, I, I don't. Th- is this the only time we see the Doctor shirtless in Classic Who? Is there I, any I, other I, shirtless scene yeah. with the Doctor? I can't. To my think knowledge, of like any it happens all the time in New Who. I think every doctor, as, except maybe Whitaker, <laughs> has as far done a as we are aware, and I think Capaldi. Yes, indeed. As far as we're aware, uh, this is the first shower the Doctor has taken in three regenerations. <laughs> uh, he must must have stunk up the TARDIS. That that might be why the the Time Lords could track him in the oh. War Games. Just like I, follow the like, unshowered smell. Right. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because one of the things that's revealed is in his shower is that he has a tattoo. And yes. this is obviously John Pertwee's tattoo yes. um, that he has a story about how he got probably drunkenly one night while he was it either was, a sailor. It was or his birthday and it was on board a ship. Yeah. 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 And so, <laughs> but the funny thing is what, what this has done is like, well, why would the doctor and like regenerate and suddenly have a tattoo? And <laughs> there's a good theory that actually became canon, at least Ooh. through, I believe the novels. I'm not, I think 
I was um, I hadn't read the novel, but I saw this summarized that the novel Christmas on a Rational Planet said this is a Time Lord criminal branding. Ooh. I think it's just a very cool thing to do. Uh, yeah. I, I would like them to do that again. Like just even if it's a throwaway thing, you could see like um, the master or whoever, like you know, just yeah. in, in brief, just sort of has that has this tattoo, and they don't even explain it, and you just suddenly realize, oh, it's uh huh. It's right. Thing. It is a criminal branding. Yeah, because the, the the episode is kind of short. And I should say, so my history of watching Spearhead from Space is exactly this. Uh, watch it this time all the way through. Previous time, in 2010, I watched the first episode because it was one of the first things. Uh, Doctor Who was one of the first shows on Netflix on the internet. Um, mm. Very, very Netflix, long time yeah. ago. It was on Netflix. And this is this is where I went. To Spearhead from Space episode one, because I'd always wondered about it. And after having watched episode one, I think I just sort of kind of pieced out at that point. So <laughs> didn't continue watching the rest of it. You know, it's it's not didn't that, hold your interest? It did not hold my interest. Oh, but it's, it is there's there's so there's so much opportunity. And again, you know, like we talk a lot about what RTD should do in rebooting the show, but this is the mo- the this is the only regeneration that mm. we've never seen in the show right that's true We've never seen Troughton turn into Pertwee and it's not that you can't do it retroactively right as we saw in Day of the Doctor and Night of the Doctor you mm-hmm. know you can stitch the regenerations together to remove any doubt because there are still theories that there were generations in between or the Doctor yeah. went to help out the CIA for a little bit first like you know uh, it, it's time to close the loop RTD it's time to bring us some sort of CGI'd version of that regeneration where Troughton mm. turns into Bertrand. Wow. Quite the request. I don't yeah. know how I feel about that. I do almost <laughs> feel like it's a bit of a missed thing. They did obviously it was a missed opportunity at the time. Can you can you go back again with that feel right? I think, you know, if they're going to if if I trust anyone to do it, it's RTD and right. not do it in sort of a obvious kind of way. Like it would have to be whether it's going in the matrix or a flashback or something. I don't like and, the idea that we're, the multiverses are crashing together, you know, in this, yeah. maybe in the centenary special, maybe, maybe after that, we're sort of getting that sense that it's going in a multiverse direction. Right. So this would be, that'd be one way to tackle that. We could kind of, it's a good excuse to look back through the doctor's lives and potential and lives. You don't necessarily have to confirm there was another sort of secret season between mm-hmm. um, the war games and spearhead from space, but you could, essentially have it be the gray-haired Patrick Troughton that we see regenerating, right? As opposed to him in Mm -hmm. 1969. Which would close the loop on the two doctors, right? The the problem of why does he look so much older? And you'd still, Uh, you could still leave it to the fans to infer that there was, he was aged from, mm. from doing more things with Jamie or whoever. Um, Yeah, that could work. What do do you think of of Pertwee sort of desperately trying to find his, uh, his performance here. There's, he does a lot of gurning, mm-hmm. uh, as as we call it in Britain. A lot of a lot of facial movements. Does that whole thing about wiggling the eyebrows? Uh, you know, yes. actually so, cracks up Caroline John at one point. Uh, yeah. It seems like she's kind of trying to not corpse um, at one moment. I think. Well, this is why I think that the show really works, and I, I'm, I'm I, I actually do think it holds your interest beyond the first episode, even though the story's best just started, 
you have that tension between the brigadier and Liz, which mm. is sort of, and, and you also have the brigadier who's grounding you there, who's the straight man. And you're not mm. really sure. I mean, Pertwee, honestly, it barely has a line in the first episode. Yeah. And you don't know what he's going to be like. And there are his first scene, like with the, um, with the shower mm. hints that it's going to be comedic. Right. So are you going to be like, Hmm, is he, is he going to be funny? And he turns out mm. not so much. He's charming, you know, and there are, you know, there's bits with the, where he yells at the guard that, which I guess is, that was kind of a forced joke that it wasn't super great. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do think he's clearly like figuring it out. Um, mm. but I think he's coming down on a, uh, like he's more effective when he is the doctor who is serious and he's explaining to the brigadier that someone has already come and collected these things. And, you know, this thing is already bigger than you think it is, you know? So Mm -hmm. that, that's where he really works. And, um, I, I sort of right off the comedic bits is like, he's kind of experimenting and, you know, some work and some don't, although I wish he would, the thing where the octopus gets him at the end and he's like, (laughs) He's a yeah. little bit goofball. A little He's bit, done that before. He does that. It, yeah. He does mm-hmm. that again with the, uh, actually in another Auton episode in Terror of the Autons. Uh, mm. I think that might be just sort of a, a reflex of his, where he's not doesn't even know he's doing it. He's being he's being goofy with it. Yeah, um, we, we, we should we should point out, and it's interesting. We come here straight from Carnival Monsters from uh, the the first appearance in Doctor Who of the man who uh, inspired. Uh, John Pertwee to to audition for the role that right. he first shows us in Spearhead from Space was was his partner on the radio show the the, the Navy Lark, and that's what what Pertwee is known for. He was his character was actually Chief Petty Officer Pertwee in in that show. So like yeah. really really imaginative name, but um, you know it's that's <laughs> what he was. He was a comic actor, and and Troughton was a little bit comic, and you sort of think of Troughton as being the funny one, but it was really. It was really Pertwee who brought the comic acting sensibilities to the Doctor that we know and love. And I think it's telling that we can see, can't we, in Spearhead from Space, so many references to New Who. Or, you know, as, as we might see it now, looking through the wrong end of the telescope, references that New Who made to Spearhead from Space. There is Matt Smith uh, in The Eleventh Hour, uh, mm. basically going through a, a hospital and uh, dressing himself. Right. Uh, very, very much like the scene in Spearhead from Space, where the Doctor, you know, and and this was uh, Pertwee's own decision on the costume, wasn't it? That uh, he he was bringing in his like opera cloak and his puffy shirt that everyone was wearing. So he says. He, yeah, he he yeah. might have. I think there was a might have been a costume designer who said it was a little more deliberate than that, and it wasn't just yeah. him. But I'm you know I'm willing to you know, yeah. go with Pertwee and I'd give him that sense but I'm, yeah. I'm kind of curious like in universe like this is he's the dandy doctor he's the guy who walks around with the fancy dress dinner dinner coats etc and is it that he's in this initial stage of the regeneration and the first outfit he grabs is that that flamboyant doctor i think he basically just yeah. steals the cloak from that one doctor who the doctor that is the the medical yes. doctor perfectly yeah and, 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 and there the is the joke well. about like he goes into the room mock doctors only and kind of does yeah. a comedy bit of like looking at that um yeah yeah it, it's interesting because it gets us into this debate that we've had before on the show of is the doctor 
picking up on the last thing he saw before he regenerated. We talked about with the accents mm. that that works in New Who. Or is he, as Russell T. Davies said, want, uh, said once, like an egg, uh, like a creature out of an egg that he imprints on the first thing he sees? So right. that, you know, Pertwee is sort of flamboyant and upper class and a bit of a dandy because he's around all these doctors who are like, you know, very. Very sort of, posh you know, for some reason, they're very posh. They're, you know, there's there's a lot of what are the what the devil are you playing at with this, with this blood man, this or this X-ray? What the devil is going on? You know, very very posh stuff. So maybe he's just sort of picking up on on that, and he's sort of imprinting from all the doctors. Um, but I'll just say the other thing from New Who that you see very very much kind of referenced here, or vice versa is um the christmas invasion the mm. the doctor staying in bed for most of the story uh or for a large chunk of it in any case definitely yeah. that kind of vibe well that's funny because it's it's different from the power of the daleks right so in that one he regenerates he's obviously not all together perfect right away but he doesn't have to take an extended period of time in a bed somewhere to mm. recover and i think they do that more often just because I think it's interesting. You know, you think about um, Davison in the Zero Cabinet, for example. Yeah, yeah. It obviously happens here. Um, as I recall, Robotty kind of just goes right into it. Uh, but it is a, <laughs> like, they're, they're still kind of, like, clearly figuring out regeneration a bit and what what that should mean for the first episode. I think, again, I think it's used effectively here because we want to see the Doctor but we're kind of kept a distance from him in episode one mm. and we don't see. And so it, it, they kind of cleverly make you tune in because you, and, and they give you just enough with this interesting plot with the meteorites and the creepy guy with Channing and the brigadier and Liz Shaw that you're like, okay, yeah, let's see where this is going. And uh, luckily it goes somewhere. I thought overall the story, like even though the Auton stuff is a little by the numbers alien invasion, I think the Auton's, are fairly interesting uh, in terms of a a, a, a monster. Well, maybe yeah. not necessarily interesting, but they're effective. Yeah. All right, and we can talk about the Autons for a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Like, um, I think the it's, Autons... It's, it's, it's no coincidence to just say the other New Who reference, right, is Rose, right? Rose yeah. consciously uses the Autons to relaunch the series. Uh, that that was done first from Spearhead from Space. And it was a very good choice. It was a great choice. And I think the thing that people remember most about Spearhead from Space, apart from it being John Pertwee's first episode in the first color episode, mm. is that image of the Autons as store window dummies smashing out of those windows and just slaughtering people en masse throughout mm. Britain, which you kind of think, the, you know, as reset buttons go, this is a pretty big one at the end. <laughs> and um, it's interesting you should say that because you've just actually brought us to the the play it again Sam moment of Spearhead <laughs> from Space, which is that they never actually smashed through the windows. Right. They couldn't afford it. They just, you just hear it. And yeah. then they're walking around. And RTD corrected that oversight very deliberately in <laughs> rows where they windows actually get smashed they finally had money <laughs> smash Woo-hoo! store windows way to go doctor who it was only what was it 30 to five years <laughs> after so that's but awesome it, it's, it's so telling what you can do on a on a on zero budget just with reaction shots right and sound effects totally. 
and they look so creepy. And the thing is, it's it's such an iconic image, those autons mm. coming out. And it really like if you think about the the formula Doctor Who monster that we think of as a formula now anyway, mm. which mm-hmm. is the everyday item that's turned homicidal. Yes. This is really the episode that establishes that formula in my mind. I, I can't, I couldn't, yeah. maybe there has been sort of things here and there before, but it's almost by necessity by putting the doctor in contemporary times. Yeah. The, the monsters would reflect contemporary just things. Right. And this is like, okay, we're <laughs> going to have store window dummies. We're going to have mannequins. They're going to come alive. And then kids are going to be freaked out every time their parents go to the store with them yeah. for the next six months to a year, because uh, we made this choice. And it was so successful and so iconic, uh, and and the formula is great. That this is this is Doctor Who, right? It's almost like watching Goldfinger yep. after you've seen all the the James Bond, Modern Than Life villains with a a lair and you know crazy gadgetry. Well, like Goldfinger had all that, and the, the job, James Bond wasn't really that until Goldfinger. And this is yeah. for Spearhead from Space is kind of Doctor Who's Goldfinger in that it establishes the formula and it does it really really well. It really, it really does, and it's 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 a wonderful blending. It's kind of you know some bits are more successful than others. Certainly, using the the factory scene, using the actual factory, oh um, yeah, the, the documentary footage of that was very interesting. Uh, first of all, the idea, the idea of a- anything actually being made in in a factory in, in a Western country now, like just that that's yeah, right. kind of seems wonderfully outdated. Um, but, but yeah, just like, that's a wonderful way to well, uh, use the cheapness of it. Yeah. That, well. that, that little cut scene where they establish the setting of the factory, where you see the dolls being made is honestly genius. And it, it might be inadvertent genius because it might just be scene setting, but you're seeing like a doll, like a hallmark of childhood, like essentially turned inside out and you see, you're seeing literally how the sausage is made here. And it, it, it kind yeah. of. You, so you're watching this, and it's you, you react with some disgust, those, maybe even some. I mean, terror. those dolls, those dolls are just creepy as hell. Yeah, uh, just by themselves, especially looking <laughs> at them now, like they just get creepier with age. Um, the part that doesn't work so well is sort of blending blending the Doctor into the real world. I think is Madame Tussauds, mm, uh, yeah. which is where where we suddenly cut to in what episode four? That's where it's introduced, where we see that the waxwork of major general scobie is made out of plastic um but right. yeah in general the entirely idea of using <laughs> entirely new process which is you know uh, we talked a little bit about this in the terror of the autons like this is very early 70s thing this sort of fear that plastic is is taking over everything which you know now we know about the the threat of microplastics and the fact that ah. microplastics are in literally everything on the planet you know, well, I think you just uh, wrote everywhere the next we've looked, microplastics have got there. Like it was, yeah. It's a, but it's like a, a really legit fear, and and we're we're talking about like this is a couple of years after the the graduate, which had that sort of great scene right. about, um, you know, I'll just say one word to you, Benjamin, plastics, right? <laughs> the, it was the exciting yep. quote unquote new future. It was very much the thing that the that the uh, that society was doing everything was becoming plastic at that time so yeah playing playing right into their fears bang up it like like doing it was it must have seen almost black mirror esque to mm-hmm. to bring up plastics like that in 1970 you know, well i very think much having a plastic villain too like a monster 
they're one of the more believably bulletproof villains of Doctor Who, I would say. Because why mm-hmm. would why honestly, like I feel like that final action sequence with the unit soldiers, it's it's a stretch to think they're not slaughtered immediately. Because bullets do nothing against the autons. You would need explosives, something much more just a much more a much heavier firepower to actually even do anything against them. And it made me think, you know, Autons, mm. they're pretty formidable, if you think about it. Um they are. They, they are. They, and Yeah. Yeah, it's not just Rory that could last for a for a thousand years as an Auton. Like they 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 just you know, the bullets don't seem to affect them in any way, shape or form. They they're a great villain. I'm glad that they've got the place that they have within uh Doctor Who history. Uh, and you almost don't need like that. That's my impression of, of Spearhead from space in general, right? Is that it's much more of a visual feast right. than anything else. Like d- d- you can, you can pick apart the plot all day. There are like 10 million ways to do that, but you're kind of missing the point. This is, it's just a wonderful visual introduction to Dr. Who and, and the Autons and the creepy, creepy as hell plastic masks are part of that. How did you like Liz? How did you like Liz as her first adventure? Uh, uh, sassy Liz. Yeah, she's, uh, uh, sassy <laughs> she's super sassy in this outing. Uh, um, and it's sort of weird that the Brigadier is kind of like the one who's answering her questions a lot. And it's it's not quite consistent, right? You know, it gets back to picking holes in the plot that she sort of, she steals the TARDIS key for the Doctor at one point, which is a great companion thing to do steals it from the brigadier's desk but the brigadier is in there talking to a guy who's talking about plastic coming to life and mm-hmm. and Michelle is somehow not interested in the context of this discussion or apparently she can't do two things at once right um right you know uh kind of a bit subconscious sexism there uh speaking of conscious sexism of course it's all over the place the sure. um, <laughs> kind of glad that major general scobie is kind of a a victim of this, and maybe this was intentional. He's sort of a victim of the Autons, in part because he has this moment of, oh, well, Brigadier, you didn't tell me that your chief scientist was such a pretty lady, or something. No, that's not exactly what he said, but it's like on that level. Oh, a pretty face to look at around the place. Aren't you a lucky chap? You almost feel like something along the lines of the... uh... The trigger warning they put for Talents of Wang Chang could go in front of any number of <laughs> Doctor Who classic episodes yeah. about the sexism. Um, it yeah. is funny. Yeah, it does, you, you does might contain that for sure. You, you might, but, in but hindsight, it's sort of, think that it's this sort of is why Liz that. left, mm-hmm. ultimately, because there's just yeah, too it's, much it's, testosterone. Yeah, I, I, I would totally uh, not blame Liz Shaw for, for heading back to Cambridge after after all that. Um yeah, I, it's it, it is a shame that she was only in it for one season. It is a great shame that uh, we didn't get to see her character develop more. It's an even greater shame that Joe was sort of deliberately dialed down as a companion in Terror of the Autons, which is right. You know, it's in in so many ways, kind of the mirror image of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, totally sign me up, and, and no wonder the the Doctor. Uh, immediately takes to Liz Shaw. They have such great chemistry, Caroline, John, and Pertwee. It's it's a real shame yeah. we didn't get more of it. Well, it's also good. I felt like Liz gets one of the better introductions, and it's written in such a way that it allows us... She's almost like a companion to the Brigadier at first because mm-hmm. it allows them to essentially recap what's going on, who Unit is, and introduce a little bit of 
uh, believable mm-hmm. tension between the two of them, um, which you kind of intrigued right away. And so I think the show itself starts off the, this this story on very much the right foot. Again, I thought Caroline John is is a little too heavy on this ass in this first one, but that's you know you're in the same way you know Pertwee's figuring out what his role is, she's figuring out hers, and she's very believably drawn to the doctor as sort of a fellow scientist. So that all works. I also think Liz just generally, and you know, you know, I'm a fan of Liz just as, as companions go, I think her maturity is what is very refreshing in that, you know, we've just had Zoe uh, who again is, is a very smart person, but Mm. you know, she was very young. Um, She was ended up acting girlish in a lot of episodes. Um, And, you know, there's, there's kind of been, you know, like as far as female companions in Doctor Who, I don't know if you we'd had a strong one since maybe even Barbara at this point. I mean, I uh, it's it's hard to say with Polly because I hadn't mm-hmm. uh, seen a lot of her her run. Uh, but I feel like Liz sort of sets a new bar there, and ultimately it was a she bar does. they decided to lower. Yeah, unfortunately. It's, it's very... um, but they they <laughs> did when you get when you get to say Romana and even further out. Um, you know, new who I think, I think it's, it's clear you want someone who has, if not necessarily an intellectual equal with the doctor, but has, has something going on upstairs. And I think Liz, Liz does that extremely well. Yeah. 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 Something in common. Um, and it's, it's sort of, it's a nice counterpoint to the doctor and the brigadier's relationship. I thought the three of them together really like, you know, as a trio of leads, fantastic chemistry there. Yeah, um, no question. And uh, yeah, yeah, not sure what else we can we can say about that. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it is. Uh, what what else do we want to talk about this about uh, Spearhead from Space Pete? Well, there's of, some interesting. Like, well, I I will tell you one thing. Um, yeah. Speaking of Madame Two Swords. Uh, speaking of Madame Two Swords. Um, it, it's sort of like the. It, it's one of the reasons I don't think that those scenes hold up pretty well is they, they show how bad the Madame Tussauds waxworks actually are and mm. how unlikely you are to confuse them with real life people. But there's, there's a scene where um, we see uh, a waxwork uh, Martin Luther King and a waxwork Gandhi. And, you know, and so this is interspersed within all of the other images of like, we get Nixon, uh, for some reason, like chief civil servants have been stuck in there rather incongruously. That's bizarre. Like, Madame Sears would ever do that. Um, but it made me think like, this is, maybe this is a way that you could push the Auton story further in a future episode of Doctor Who. What if they had chosen hmm. to come back in the form of... Martin Luther King or Gander. You know, I, I don't think you should choose those two precisely because there's so many pitfalls with, with doing that. But like, right. what if instead of like choosing the leaders that we uh, fear or hate, uh, you know, those civil servants, the, the, the bluff all major general, that kind of thing. What if they chose someone who everyone adored like a Martin Luther King or a Gandhi character who's just could so appeal to the masses in a positive sense and preach peace and nonviolence. Uh, I think that would be a very interesting Auton episode if they're like able to perfectly replicate a world leader or someone who is on the world stage who, who preaches peace and somehow, you know, gets people to, I don't know. Uh-uh. 
somehow gets people to lay down their arms, you know, and and kind of, uh, you know, it, it just it yeah. could be a very interesting di- direction for the show to go. Um, yeah, I would love it in with the, the autons. Yeah, I think what you can do, you know, here's the thing. I think you want to have the autons. Um, do that duplication thing. I think that is underused, but how then how are they distinctive from the Zygons when that's that's kind of their thing? Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, I don't think they've used the Zygons in this way. Like the idea of impersonating a essentially an influencer. Mm-hmm. And then the plot is like, why have they gone out of character and started acting in a way that perhaps subverts yeah. their message? And yeah. that's pretty good. Do you, but I guess I would say, like, do you do autons or do you do zygons? And yeah, you can go either way. A choice, I I think with autons, you have a good little army of plastic guys that are very, very creepy. Um, I feel like with zygons, we've we've seen enough zygon invasions. Well, I think we guess we've seen enough of invasions of both of them, (laughs) but but uh, yeah, it's just you know, with with I guess the closest we've come is the zygons trying to impersonate elizabeth the first who was one of those leaders who i guess was both admired right. and feared um what if they yeah, teamed but... up the zygons of the autons <laughs> and you oh, sure my god the the a to z team up that would be fantastic you know what would be fun doctor who should try this that instead of thwarting an invasion of earth he actually one of the evil aliens gets invaded by one of the other evil aliens. So he has to save the Zygon homeworld from the Autons. Love it. <laughs> because Spin apparently the, the the Autons, according to Channing, have been colonizing worlds for a thousand million years, like a billion years, which yeah. is a good line, but it's one of those lines that drives the scale up to an absurd point where you're just like, wait a minute. You've literally been colonizing for a billion years and... I guess covertly because the doctors yeah. never heard of you and how big is your empire then? Or is it just, you, are they more like parasites that ransack one world and go to the next? I don't know. Well, just, let, it was let's a not too, forget too the doctor's memories have been taken from him. So it's possible he'd had heard of them before. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it, it's sort of, it's a, it's a little inconsistent. Um, what do you think about the notion that the time laws drop the doctor here at this point in Earth's history deliberately? Like right next to where this auton invasion was taking place, uh, or mm. was it just random? Yeah, well, I think it is, in hindsight, somewhat deliberate, and maybe, well, I guess I don't, I, I don't know if they they predicted the master, but this is clearly like unit everything the 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 brigadier says in episode one, where he's talking about we've drawn attention to ourselves and therefore we've been become a target for various mm-hmm. alien races. Um, I think that might have played into what the Time Lords were doing. It's like, okay, let's send him mm. where, not necessarily that we want to save Earth, but let's keep the Doctor busy. <laughs> you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to have him messing around too much with his own TARDIS and doing whatever else. And, you know, there's going to be stuff for him to do here. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when you leave your kid in the playpen with a bunch of toys, right? It's like, okay, you you, you hang out there and goof around with your little... There's, there's also this theory that uh, that the Doctor was... Um, there's a theory that the Doctor was left there uh, in units' hands so that he wouldn't get mixed up with Torchwood. Oh. 
you know, obviously okay. this is a retroactive theory from New Who, but uh, I kind of like that idea. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. But why would they want him to get involved with Torchwood? What would, what would the Time Lords care? Indeed. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah, you know, so, I got to give a little credit to, because so, I mentioned him, I thought the guy who played Channing, who I guess is Hugh Burden, yeah, was very Hugh, good. He but... sort of has an excellent understated performance. I mean, he's basically memorable in that he's not memorable. Um, he yeah. somehow makes total blandness a menacing thing. And, you know, when I started this episode again, I hadn't seen it in a while. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy's creepy. And so it was it was kind of like I say, it's a standout performance by having not a single memorable line, except maybe total destruction. I do remember total destruction. Destroy total, total destruction. destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And he does get to chew the scenery on that one. Uh which reminds me, what what did your kids think of Spearhead from Space Pete? Oh, they enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. They thought it was great. I think they were creeped out by the Autons, uh definitely held their interest from start to finish. They like John Pertwee. I think he just has this presence that kids like um, mm. that I think comes through in his performance as Doctor Who. Obviously, uh, of Gummidge, as he did later, yeah. very much a, a, obviously a kid show. He he has that appeal um, that... Holds very it, reassuring yeah. image. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's almost like, um, you know, he's almost like your grandpa, honestly. Like He's like, come here, kids. And he's, he dresses like you know, a grandpa from the olden times. So, well, uh, well that, that may explain it. why he is the, uh, the randomizer's favorite doctor now. Um, I think almost oh, kick, yeah. we, we could say that he's sort of taken over from, um, Capaldi. I think so. Yeah. I think we can officially say that. Yeah. That, yeah. Capaldi is like evil grandpa, uh, the randomizer was initially drawn to, but now he's seen Pertwee. He's like, Oh, cool. Grandpa. So, the, that get, brings us to one of our four questions, or as I think I might yeah. start calling them, our four questions to Doomsday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which yep. the first one is, why did the randomizer take us here? And it could be as simple as the randomizer loves Pertwee. Mm. Um, we just came from Carnival of Monsters. So in a sense, there's sort of a, a book ending here because this is the beginning of his exile and carnival of monsters was the first post exile episode right so yeah that could be it but there's one more theory i have if you don't have one Mm -hmm. no go for it so funnily enough we're recording this podcast on sunday august 14th and just yesterday Mm -hmm. there was a doctor who convention held at the very location they filmed Spearhead from Space. No. So I guess the Wood Norton in Evesham. Evesham, am I saying that right? Uh, Evesham, Evesham, yeah. Evesham, okay. Evesham. And I yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh it was it was yesterday. It was yesterday on August 13th and it was called Spearhead Live. So what? Boom. It's huge. Wow. And uh Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred were both there. And if you oh check God. Sophie Aldred's Twitter feed, she's very active on Twitter. Uh, she got to pose in the shower. Oh! <laughs> in the, the classic Pertwee shower. I don't know if feds oh. were allowed to do that or whatever, but... My God. So that's got to be it, that the, the the randomizer knew somehow we were gonna, this was going to be delayed, our, our huh. taping, until August. And it's just this crazy coincidence that all of that happened. They even had one of the guys 
from Spearhead from Space. So you know the the radar operator at the very beginning of episode, like literally oh, yes. the first scene. That guy. <laughs> that guy. That guy. The, the most memorable thing about him is that his his boss was a woman. Yeah, I guess his name. Like when introducing the new yeah. era. Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it kind of makes um, up a little bit for those uh, those comments to Lisha later, I suppose. Um, I guess. But uh, the gentleman's name is Ellis Jones. That's it. He was the unit radar technician. So uh, I'm sure he's a mainstay of <laughs> conventions all around Evesham. If you want an Eversham convention to celebrate Spearhead from Space, he's your guy. He's your man. Yeah. He's your go-to guy. I love that. That's fantastic. And and I'm not a little afraid of the randomizer once again. Right. Uh, for for arranging this. Like you can yes, you can pattern match and draw connections and everything, but like the randomizer does seem to make it super easy for us to see these connections. So yeah. it's a little above the the natural random level, I think. So I second like, above. Yeah. So go ahead. No, no, no. Oh, go, it's just like more. the randomizer, you know, it's it's really wake woken us up to that experiencing Doctor Who is a far from linear process. Like we're beyond mm. linear time here, guys. It always have been. Oh there God. are so many connections and so many just sort of interesting ways to um to to put put things together in the show honestly i would not want to do this podcast any other way like this this Agreed. random journey just is revealing a lot about uh doctor who and even stuff around doctor who that's that's super awesome i also like that the brigadier says that there are 500 inhabited planets in the galaxy that that might come and uh invade us um right and which is i believe that that figure is very close to what frank drake initially in the drake equation came up with a, a number something around there so it's it's actually pretty well informed but it also suggests that that doctor who's going to go on for at least 500 stories and given that we're just 301 uh, mm-hmm. according to the uh, pull to open codex um you know that suggests that the the show is very much uh you know still in middle age well just Even wait until the, the james webb telescope gives us back some mm. better data be like five thousand <laughs> at least in the local uh the local arm of Mutter spiral indeed so moving on to f- question two what if the evil plot had succeeded what would have happened okay got a take yeah um well it, it's very hard for the nesting cottages to take over earth this way because they've they've chosen an isolated island off the coast of europe uh, which is kind of the mistake of a lot of these alien invasions mm-hmm. that they choose to do it in Britain, which right. is, you know, if at any point it goes wrong, the doctor can't fix it, whatever, the rest of the world can just nuke Britain. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, just be carpet bomb. Like, you know, what, what are they going to do? Just like, you know, how, how fast can you build a plastic bridge over the channel, Autons? Right. So yeah, my so, thought here is that what if the evil plot had succeeded? Didn't it kind of like they actually got to the point where the, the store window dummies were busting out, slaughtering tons of people and taking over communications facilities. So yes, the doctor ultimately defeats them, but I do feel like they essentially went a little too far with like the autons doing their thing, because uh, if you actually took that seriously, like, It'd be a pretty wounded country, if not world. And surely there'd be some questions about why 
hundreds, if not thousands of people were just killed by store window dummies. That's not students. <laughs> That's not a prank. <laughs> uh so it's not industrial action yeah so like uh it's funny that they looking at this story they that the reset button is so hit so quickly um but if you went further with it i suppose you could say maybe liz doesn't figure out that she just has to attach that cable back to the doctor's device Mm -hmm. and he gets strangled by the nesting monster regenerates again but doesn't stop to Tom Baker. Yeah, he doesn't recover in time to stop the the autons from taking over at least the UK. So you you would think Tom Baker then becomes a prisoner of the Nestines. Maybe they actually crack time travel by capturing his TARDIS, and then the Nestines become this dominant race that may end up, end up competing with the Time Lords or challenging them. So maybe that's what happens. <laughs> And and then uh, we we do know from like uh, Deadly Assassin, uh, you know how much like Waxworks Time Lord Society is in itself, mm. um, you know. So they totally. it would be it'd be quite easy to I think impersonate the uh, the leading civil servants of Time Lord bureaucracy. Yeah, and they're just sort of a society of unquestionably, uh, you know, obeying orders. So well, they all look I don't so think there's any in those hats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just all the same. Uh, nobody's paying attention to who's who's plastic or anything. Uh, I totally would uh, pick the Nessines over the Time Lords in that conflict. If that was the Time War, it would be over in five minutes. Yeah, for sure. If only the Daleks had been able to impersonate Time Lords. Autons, underrated monster. Um, mm. All right, so next question. Question three, where is the Clara Splinter here? Yeah, I think maybe she's uh, she could be at the the door of the shower, like uh, handing out towels uh, and uh, you know making sure that the doctor isn't seen and that he chooses the right costume hmm. um, and uh, making sure it's really him and not a uh, a nesting duplicate uh, by checking for the tattoo. That could be it. My my theory would be she's on the phone talking or maybe it's the night before the the autons come alive and she's calling every store on every street don't come in don't come in tomorrow (laughs) and so the body count is thus minimized to only like a few Mm. dozen people letting unit cover it up uh yeah so like they still bust out they still take control of communications facilities that happens because the brigadier says it but uh, there aren't as many people slaughtered. It's basically just the people we see in that bus stop or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> so as Very long as they can do that, I, I do think the yeah, I do good. think the other reason for putting her in the shower scene though is that you know we, we, one thing we know about Clara from uh, the time of the Doctor is that she uh, you know likes to uh, hang out naked with the Doctor. So like <laughs> this is the only other time in his timeline she can really do that. Um, kind of a bit weird, but sure. there you go. Yeah, or perhaps not weird. Um, <laughs> perhaps very, very natural. So, sure. finally, where does this rank in our rating system? Is this a Dalek? Is it an Ogron? Is it a Viscount banger? What say you? Uh, I think it's a Dalek, but I think it's a it's a plastic Dalek. It's kind of <laughs> kind of very uh, see through. Kind of you know will will yeah. disintegrate on contact to Dalek if you actually try and uh, you know touch its body it just just falls to pieces uh but other than that you know it's if if you look at it from a distance you're like oh nice shiny colorful dalek you know yeah i think so uh, here's, up, here's 
here's where I, I agree it's a Dalek. I think it my test is actually I had to think back to when I very, first saw it for the first time. So I think I've mentioned when I was watching the run on uh, Western Canadian television of Davison, it got to the end of Davison, and then they started with Pertwee, and they started with this episode. And I was kind of disappointed when I realized this wasn't the next doctor that I had just seen Peter Davison regenerate into. And so my my bar was probably much higher in terms of yeah. wanting to like the show. And by the end of this one, I was like, oh, okay. Well, this is this is kind of cool. I like this. And I like how it's not just a Doctor Who episode, but it is establishing a new type of Doctor Who episode. And that saying, like, this yeah. is the kind of thing you're going to expect, especially that final scene with him and the Brigadier. And he's talking about, well, I'll come work for you if you give me this stuff. And I thought, okay, this is all right. And I like these people. So I'll be back next week. And um, yeah, yeah, luckily, like, and it only went up from here. Like, Spirits from Space is like, it's pretty good. And then later, you know, the next episode is the Silurians, then the ambassadors of death. And then of course, Inferno, which is one of the best doctor episodes yeah. of all time. So, um, and that's what you want the shape of the season to be, right? You don't want to open with necessarily your, your biggest Viscount banger. Exactly. Yeah. Set the stage mm. and it does set the stage of uh, really, really well. So good nice. job, spearhead. You did great. And that sets the stage for us to uh, use our Doctor uh, impregnated TARDIS keys to <laughs> actually get back into the TARDIS. Send some smoke wafting out from within. We didn't talk know, about yeah. the continuity weirdness of the, the key only working for him, which doesn't ever happen again in the whole run. <laughs> it's funny. Like, mm. they. It's like he says, I think at some point it has like a metabolism detector or something. I guess the TARDIS has just like, okay, I guess this one time it does <laughs> just like at one time it had Temple of Grace, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, rule number one, the doctor lies and he mm. definitely, definitely lies in this episode as the first thing he does with the TARDIS key is tries to run away. And I, I love that. I love right. that he did that. I love that he sort of looks kind of sheepish after he tries it. It's just like, oh, I'm sorry. The Time Lords, they kind of messed me up. They messed up the dematerialization. Um, He knows he's been a bad boy. I like that. That was, yeah, he's been a bad boy. And it's almost Capaldi esque of that sort of trying to run away from the situation where he's supposed to be saving the Earth. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally worth it. Sad that we never get to see inside the TARDIS at this stage. He could so easily prove to Liz that it is dimensionally transcendent, which I believe is the first time he uses those words. Right. Um, as well as something else. Hearts. Yeah. Yes. We haven't talked about that. Two hearts, d- non-human blood. Uh, it's the first time we've sort of examined the doctor at this stage. And apparently his pulse is 10. <laughs> well, that's what he was like sleeping though. That's like, that's his, Regeneration hibernation pulse is ten. But why do you, right? uh, why would it be ten with two hearts? I don't know. Any any doctors out there, you know, please please write in and let us know um, exactly Maybe what they, would happen if you had two hearts. They, they took the wrong pulse. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's one that's ten and one that's one hundred and ten. So then they kind of average out. Maybe that's how it works. <laughs> I love it. By yes, the way, well, my I'm, theory I'm, on the key is that it, there's just a trick mm-hmm. to it. It's not a metabolism yeah. detector. There's just, you know, like sometimes there's just a trick to yeah. it. And it's like, there yeah, it is. You gotta, 
<laughs> it's like this classic thing people always do with their own th- no you gotta just jiggle it yeah. just jiggle it and you're like what does that even mean I do not know how to get into your house doctor <laughs> I'm picturing Tegan I've got the knack <laughs> nice Australian accent there yeah and uh, yeah so with that we should actually get into our TARDIS activate our randomizer and find out where we're going next uh, Pete would you like to tell the good people how we do that Yes, we activate our randomizer, which is composed of two components, the pull-to-open codex, which is a spreadsheet of all 301 episodes of the show, TV stories of the show. And there is the second component, the random element, that tells us Mm -hmm. where in the spreadsheet we're going to go, which is random.org. And that is a... Uses atmospheric noise. Uh, the atmosphere is not just full of auton meteorites. Uh, it is also full of atoms bouncing around. Um, so that's what random.org uses instead of a pseudo-random algorithm, which is what computers normally use, and which is not true randomness. We bring you only the finest d- bespoke Earth atmosphere randomness here on Pull to Open. So my random.org is ready. When Pete gives me the signal, I will mm. generate a random number between 1 and 301. But first, do we have challenges, the randomizer? I think we need to have challenges. I think we got yeah. it. And I think yeah. I'm just going to go with something predictable because it never listens to us anyway. And <laughs> we've been hearing a lot about David Tennant and yep. how he is back, obviously, for the 60th. Uh, bring us to some Tennant, you know? Yeah. Let's just, let's just do a Tennant episode. I, I like that we're, we're both thinking the same thing, which is get us, please get us out of the classic series. But maybe, <laughs> maybe if we word it in a different way, right. uh, the randomizer will be tempted to stop showing us classic series. Um, but here's, so here's going to be my tempting thing. Take us to Rose. Oh, wow. You're playing roulette here, my man. Yeah, I really am. I'm like, you know, give us, you've given us two Auton, the two Auton uh, right. stories. Let's give us the third. The third let's proper just, Auton episode. Let's have the Autons be the first monster that we have visited every, every other than the one and done ones. I don't think there's any other that's true for that we've just seen all of them. Right. Unless, and I, I guess you, you wouldn't Rory. count because they're not actually the villains of the Pandorca opens. Yeah, I mean, they are, yeah, exactly. but they're not. And it's not a proper Auton episode. So I will definitely take the Pandorica opens, yeah. by the way, randomizer, huh. uh, if you're listening. Uh, all right. Give me a countdown. I will hit the generate. All right, let's do this in four, three, two, one. Unstable. One, five, five. Ooh, I don't think we're quite there, uh. but we are at Battlefield. <sighs> our, our first Sylvester McCoy. Yes, it's our first McCoy, and it features the Brigadier. Oh, my God. Still the randomizer's favorite companion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And wow. I've not seen Battlefield. This is the era of Sylvester McCoy. I'd already stopped watching the show at this point. So I'm I'm truly excited. Something else to see it's for the first deal. time. It's a big deal. Yeah, it's the first yeah. story of the last season of the classic series. Ooh, and so, we just went from the first story of the rebooted season right. uh, to the first story of the last season. Oh, my goodness. Wow, wow. Battlefield. So many connections. Okay. 
All right, right, I'll take it. We wanted to get out of Classic Who. We're, we're not going to get out of Classic <laughs> Who. The, the Time Lords have kept us exiled here yep. and uh, for whatever, for their own reasons. Um, I, so, yeah. I got to start but, working um, on that dematerialization circuit for sure. <laughs> While we do that, guys, uh, we wanted, just want to say thank you very much for listening and being on this journey with us. This is Pull to Open. It's a podcast. Uh, if, in case you found this on a web embed somewhere or in some other place, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do, uh, whether you're subscribing to us on your podcast app or YouTube, you really appreciate the follow. Go ahead, as we say, leave a review wherever you're encountering us. We really appreciate it. Those reviews really make the podcast more visible in more places. And we are in all the places. So wherever you find a good podcast app or a Doctor Who discussion on YouTube, you'll find us, follow us, uh, yeah. and come say hi. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It may be a podcast. I'm, I'm sort of not entirely convinced that it's not 17 TikToks in a trench coat. <laughs> nice. But certainly we'll continue to be there on TikTok. We'll be there on YouTube. We'll be there on Spotify. We'll be there everywhere you are. And all you have to do to find us is pull to open or pull to open 63 on Twitter and Instagram. But TikTok, you can drop the 63. It's just pull to open. Follow us there, drop us a line, and we'll see you next time for Battlefield. Looking forward to it. Bye, guys.